This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Well, Happy New Year. Wait a minute, Pastor. That was over almost a month ago. Really? Well, in reality, today is the first day of the year if God chooses to give it to you. I know what the holiday is. I know what the cards say. I understand the January 1st celebration. But the reality is today, if God chooses to give us a new year, today is the first day. And regardless of what we've done a month ago, we've talked about making promises, sometimes so big and broad we struggle to keep them. We've talked about setting simple priorities in life, making good choices. And we've talked about as believers, we need to live like believers, should God give us, if it is God's will that we have another year. But the reality is actually that today, right now, this moment, is the first day of this new year. Yesterday is gone, and it's not coming back. And we're not guaranteed a tomorrow. And so as we finish this series on the new year, I want to draw you to the fact that now is decision time. Now, right now. As we are gathered in this place, singing these wonderful songs, cracking open the scriptures, now is when you're faced with the truth. Now it is decision time. And as we've said before, life is full of choices and decisions. You make hundreds of choices every day. Some of it we don't even think about. Some choices we make, they just come and we choose. Taking one way to go to work, we change our mind and we choose to go another. We just make that choice. Get my breakfast sandwich at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's. We make that choice. And you just sit there and if you go through your mind, you can think of hundreds of those choices that you make every day. And you don't even think about it because that's the nature of life. Life is nothing if it's not a series of choices. Well, today we're going to take us to decision time because there are some transformative decisions that we need to make today. Again, life is a series of choices. And yes, even in life, there are transformative decisions Those transformative decisions, how do you define that? Well, these are decisions, choices that you and I make that literally change our lives one way or the other. For instance, where are you going to go to school if, in fact, you go to college or trade school or nothing at all? That's a a transformative decision. What is your career or your vocation going to be? That's a transformative decision. That decision paints the painting of the rest of your life. How about who are you going to marry if you're going to marry at all? That's a transformative decision. 
And here's the biggie, having kids is a transformative decision. You know, it's always amazing these decisions that we make and want to make and do and plan for. And oftentimes we don't realize just how transformative these decisions are. Choosing what you do with your life, who you're going to marry, having kids. Boy, wasn't having kids a transformative decision? I remember one gentleman in the church, when Susan was expecting our first child, he said, Mike, pulled me aside, put his arm around me. God bless older folks. And he said, Mike, your life is about to change. And I said, yes, sir, I realize that. And then he added this. He said, you will not be allowed to do anything you want to do anymore. <laughs> and I all of a sudden rethought that transformative decision. And you know what? He was right. And to a great extent, he still is. Well, this morning, I believe God is bringing this church to a transformative decision. That's been the whole purpose behind this New Year's series. The whole desire has been to see if we can't stop and take an honest look inside as believers in Christ and ask ourselves, are we doing what we should be doing? Are we living the way we should be living? When you receive Christ as your Savior, that was transformative. You move from death unto life, hell bound to heaven bound, cast off to brought in. And then as you walk with Christ, you make those transformative decisions to surrender to Him as Lord of your life. And by the way, these transformative decisions, some of them are one-time life-changing decisions. The, the transformative decision we're going to talk to you today is an ongoing decision. Because we're faced with temptation and we're faced with enticements to step away. And God knew this even back in the Old Testament. When through Abraham, he created the nation of Israel. Israel, the nation that would be God's conduit for the written word and the living word. And as he was setting up that nation, this nation was to be a nation to glorify him. Still is supposed to be that today. And as he, as he shared with Moses through the book of Deuteronomy, he was going to make a contract with God's people, with his people. And yes, while this is specifically pointed at Israel, the general morality, the general philosophy of this contract still stands for God's people today, even though we're primarily Gentile and believers in Christ. God's people are, after all, God's people. And he told this in Deuteronomy chapter 31, as he was establishing this new nation, as he was raising up a people. And listen, he did that through the nation of Israel, and today he does that through the church. And he said this as he made that contract with them. By the way, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, think contract. The book of Deuteronomy is basically the contract between the sovereign God 
and the people of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I said 31, I meant 30, excuse me. Verse 19, he says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Usually when you sign a contract, you have to have a witness or witnesses to sign that they witnessed it. When I do weddings, I always have witnesses sign the marriage license. That's law. And generally you have the maid of honor and the best man who are the two closest in. Because that contract must be witnessed. Well, God is writing a contract to his people. And he said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And if you read the first 29 chapters of Deuteronomy, that's exactly what he's done. He's basically saying, if you'll do this, I will do that. Life and death, blessing and cursing. And God made that covenant, that contract with these people. He said, therefore, choose life. Choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. Now, the nation of Israel still exists today. It's under attack, but they are still God's people. Even though they have primarily rejected God, he still loves them, and they are still his people. As a matter of fact, if you read the history of the nation of Israel from this point forward, it's not improper to say that they were a mess. God's people mostly are, even today in the church. Because they're in and out with God. But God basically said, here's your choice. Follow me, honor me, serve me, obey me. Life, blessing. Turn from me, do your own thing, walk your own way, disparage me, dishonor me, ignore me. Death and cursing. Choose, choose. That's what he's calling the people of Israel to do in Deuteronomy. And listen, that's what he's calling the church, his people today, to choose. And yes, this is Israel specific, but generally it's still the choice you and I face. God has called us the church. That's, that's exactly what the, the name church literally means, the called out assembly. We've been called out of the world, not only for salvation, but also for service, glorify God and to walk with Him. And we have a choice. Are we going to do that or not? And let me say this, there are no gray areas. There's no fine print. There's no place to budge or to fudge. It's a simple choice. Take your Bibles and join me in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 has been called the doctrinal statement of the church from God. Romans chapter 12 lays out the whole panorama of sin, salvation, sanctification. The book of Romans, man, it just tells us what we are to be and how we're to do it and why. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
And in the first 11 chapters, Paul gives a doctoral dissertation on the doctrines of Jesus Christ and his church. As I said earlier, he talks about sin and all of the parameters of sin, missing God's mark of perfection. He talks about salvation in Christ alone, plus and minus nothing. He spends several chapters speaking of how to be saved and, and why God has saved us. And in chapters 12 through 16, he now speaks of that sanctification. That's a big church word, isn't it? It simply means to set apart and be something you weren't and haven't been, to be something better and different. Sanctification, where we get our word saint and holy, both words in the Bible, saint, holy, come from the same Greek word, hagiazo, it means to set apart. And God is calling us to make that choice of setting our lives apart for him. Just like the nation of Israel was raised up and set apart from the world and its neighbors because it was holy and, and had a mission, the church is the same way. Even though we're not one ethnicity, we're made up of many ethnicities. Many backgrounds, men and women, young and old. We are the church. And today God is calling us to a choice. A transformative decision. And as we get into this morning, get into it this morning, we see three questions. First of all, based, with, based on this choice, what choice, what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, look what Paul says as we pick it up in chapter 1 of verse 12. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's interesting, this, this, this passage, it's familiar to many of you. But have you ever sat down and dug through it and rooted out the implications of what Paul is calling us to here? It, and, and we talk about in, in the very first couple of words, he says, I beseech you or I beg you, depending on what translation you have. Do you know that word is the very same word used in the book of John to describe the Holy Spirit of God? The Greek word spoken of as the Spirit is the word parakletos or paraclete, to call alongside. The word beseech here is the same exact word in the Greek. Picture Paul coming to you and sitting down with you. And as you both sit together, he puts his arm around your neck and he gets your attention and he looks into your eyes and said, I'm begging you. I'm right here with you. I need you to see this. It's interesting, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit, we've been talking, as Aaron said in Sunday school, about the Holy Spirit. The great comforter, maybe in your, in your Bible it says comforter or helper. But the word is someone who comes alongside and puts his arm around you and begs you to come along. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what Paul is asking us. Come on. I'm begging you. Come on. He's not doing it in anger. He's doing it in love as a friend as God leads him to speak of this. 
And so as he talks about this choice in Scripture, what are we to do? First, he says, you and I are to become a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Based on what? Well, by the mercies of God. He uses the word therefore. You've heard it said by me a couple of zillion times in Bible study. If you want to understand a passage and it has therefore, ask yourself what it's there for. It refers back to the previous material. And remember, Paul had been going to the book of Romans, teaching doctrine, talking about God. And then at the end of chapter 11, Paul had a Holy Ghost revival fit. Paul was an emotional guy. We've been studying the book of Galatians on Wednesday night, and I'm going to tell you, Paul gets right tight with the people of Galatia. They started chasing around religious people, and Paul said, I, mm -mm, that's not going to happen. Paul gets rough. But here he just gets so excited. Back in verse, chapter 11 and verse 33, and, and, and wrapping up his doctrinal study, you know, people today say, doctrine's boring. Doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is the truth and reality concerning God. And Paul, after going through this, as God led him, he stops in verse 33 of chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He was just blown away by the profundity of the truth of God. He says, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He quotes the Old Testament. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? You know, it's amazing how often we think God doesn't know what he's doing, so we're going to tell him. He goes on to say, or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? God doesn't owe us anything. And then he says this in verse 36. He says, for of him, God, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen i beg you therefore based on that based on the mercies of god that you present your bodies you know we talk a lot about giving our heart to jesus i always hear that and i always wonder what in the world are you talking about the organ in your chest that pumps blood Oftentimes, people talk, think of the heart as the seat of emotion. They want to give their emotions, and that's easy to do on a Sunday morning. We have amazing music here at West Concord Baptist Church. We get excited. We get motivated. Oh, man, I'm loved. Praise the Lord. Amen. We give our emotions to God. It's interesting Paul here asks for our body. Because here's the reality. You live in your body. I don't know, but I do. You live in your body. If you give your body to God... Bless God, everything else has to come along. And think of this, his recipients in this letter, specifically and especially the Jewish people who are reading it, they understood this whole concept of sacrifice. We don't. Because we don't have a sacrificial system, per se, in this country. We're not offering necessary... Now, there's some wacko groups that do it, I get that. But we're not offering animals on an altar anymore. We think of that, when we picture this in our mind, maybe we think of this pristine ecclesiastical paradise of gold and velvet and all these things. Let me tell you something. The sacrificial altar was nasty and bloody. It was gritty. It probably smelled of flesh because it was a complete and total offering. Listen, when that, when that animal got on the altar... It was done. There was no, no 
changing of your mind. There was no backsliding. It was a bloody, complete sacrifice. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants to give, and, and here's the thing, most of the sin that we get involved in is tied to the flesh. It's tied to the flesh. Sexual sin, tied to the flesh. Procrastination, gluttony, substance abuse, you name it, it's usually tied back to the flesh. That's why this flesh, by the way, isn't going to heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm happy about that. I know, I look in the mirror. I don't want to look at this for all eternity. Jesus says he's gone to prepare new bodies for us. I hope to heaven mine looks acceptable. <laughs> but this flesh is basically what we need to lay on the altar of God. All of ourselves. And some people say, well, I'm a spirit with a body. I'm a soul with a body. Listen to me very carefully. That's not good theology. The reality is you are body, soul, and spirit. Oh, but pastor, when I die, you said I'm going to leave this body. God's going to change it. Just like when you plant a seed, that seed becomes a plant. When God plants your body, whether in the ground, cremated, whatever, one day he's going to blow a trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we will all be changed in a twinkling of an eye with new bodies. We need to present our complete selves on God's altar. And so that's what he's calling us to do. Become a living sacrifice. He says we need to be holy. The word holy again means set apart. I realize we live in a world today where we talk about equality and equity and everybody's supposed to be the same. But listen to me very carefully, church. If you're a child of God, you are not to be like the world. And Paul's going to emphasize that more in a second. You're to be set apart, holy. Oh, not self-righteous. Because even after we get saved, we're not any better than anybody else. We need to be holy. And the holiness that we bring is a decision for holiness. Yielding to the work of holiness. In other words, setting our lives aside to do as God leads us. When somebody sacrificed something, they would then burn it away. Holiness means that everything fleshly and worldly in a spiritual sense, we need to let God burn away. It needs to be acceptable to God, and that's the only way our lives are going to be acceptable to Him. So we should be a living sacrifice, acceptable to God. Notice this next line. I think it's amazing. It's fascinating. He says, which is your reasonable service? If you have another translation, it might say your service of worship. But you know what? That loses the translation in that line. Because the word reasonable here, and I said this the other week, it's the Greek word logikos. Guess what word we get from the Greek word, logikos? Thank you, logic. You could almost read it this way. Doing these things, becoming a holy and acceptable living sacrifice for God, that is your logical service. The word service there does mean worship. Latreo, it means worship. We talk about worship. Mike and the praise band, they do an amazing job leading us in worship on Sunday morning. 
But you know something? When it's over and they sit down or we walk out of the door, the worship doesn't stop there. As we go through our week, as we interact with our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our life is supposed to be 24-7 worshiping God. Giving value and honor to God that he deserves. Glorifying God. Worship doesn't stop at noon and we go home and forget it until maybe Wednesday. No. Worship goes on every day. Every day. We just corporately together come and worship. And it's logical. It's reasonable. Why? Because of what God did. For of him and from him and to him are all things. Nothing belongs to you and me. Even our bodies, our lives, ultimately it's all going to come back to God anyway. So doesn't it make sense for, for the fact that Jesus died on the cross, took our sin, paid for them, was buried and rose again from the dead, offers salvation as a gift that you and I do nothing for nor pay for. Doesn't it make sense that we give ourselves back to him? That's just logical. Christian service, Christian living is a logical expression, a logical response to what God has done for us. Not only that, but it's all coming back to him anyway. Why fight it? Why fight it? It's all coming back to him. It's all his. So Paul is basically saying here, make the decision. What are we to do? We are to become living sacrifices. Now generally when sacrifices go to the altar, they die. Yes, in a sense we are to die. We are to die to the flesh, die to ourselves, die to our desires, dreams, and hopes, and, and let God live in us and through us. Oh, I've heard people say from time to time, well, I'd give my life for Jesus. I'd die for Jesus. Congratulations. No one is chasing you with nails and, and wood. Chances are you're not going to have in America an opportunity to die for Jesus. Here's the real question. Will you live for him? Will you live for him? What are we to do? We're to be a living sacrifice. And we're to begin logical service. It just makes sense. Well, how do we do that? How does that work, Pastor? How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 2. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed. First of all, we need to reject being conformed to the world. As I said earlier, and again, we are not to be like the world. Now, I'm not talking about going up into a tower on some mountain and wearing white linen and, and singing songs and, and hiding away from everybody. No, no, we're in the world. We have jobs, we have families, we have neighbors, we have school friends, all these things. We're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. In other words, we're to reject the values of the world that, is, that are flesh-oriented and human-oriented. We are to reject the direction of the world, which is basically human-centered. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, before they sinned, their eyes were fixated on the ruler and king of the universe, the creator and sustainer. But when they ate of the forbidden fruit that God told them not to eat of, that relationship was lost. 
That's why he said they died. That word die and death means separation. And instead of gazing upon God Almighty as the center of their universe, in their rebellion, in their pride, they became the center of the universe. And that's why we have problems in our world today. James says so in James chapter 4. He said, where do wars and conflicts come from among you? Do they not come from the desires of your own heart? You lust against each other, you fight against each other. And the reality is, and we've said this before, when you're the center of the world, you're sharing the world with other people who are the centers of the world. We have conflicts because somebody else who sees herself as the center of the world doesn't like what you like and you think you're the center of the world. So what happens? You argue. We got a great big election coming up, y'all. I don't even know if I want to be on social media in the next few months. Because we get mean and we get hateful and the Christians are just as bad, if not worse, because we know better. I want what I want. We have that problem in the church today. I'm the center of the church. I want what I want. No. That's why there's conflict. When you take your eyes off of yourself and put them on God, conflict is over. Be not conformed to the world. Literally, don't look like the world. And I'm not just talking about dress, although there are some things we need to be careful. We need to have godly modesty, and that's men and women. Immodesty is simply something that says, look at me. Even not scantily clothed. If you might have a clothed, you might have a fancy suit or a fancy dress that cost a gazillion dollars. Look at me. He's talking about we are not to look like the world in our values and our choices in our desires and our hopes. We are to look like Christ in this world. Be not conformed to this world. So we need to reject that. We need to receive becoming transformed by the word. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Christianity should and must be a transformative thing. If you live the very same way you lived before you were saved, I'm not the editor of anybody's salvation. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, they're just not saved. I'm not going to do that. But I will wonder. In other words, if you are sitting in a court of law being charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? In other words, we are not to be like the world. We're to be transformed. How, who are we to look like? Christ. The word Christian, by the way, from the Greek word Christianoi, which means little Christs. Little Christs. And that's what we're to be. Now, that doesn't mean we are going to go out and get two-by-fours and nails and be crucified in our front yard. But what it does mean is we need to crucify the flesh in our lives by surrendering them to him, by letting him transform us and make us different. Oh, but pastor, if I'm different, people will make fun of me. People won't like me. People will, and you're right. Remember what John said in John 15? He said, the world will hate you because it hated me. It's hard, hard to hear that, but we need to live transformed because that is the only way that we're going to influence the world for Christ. Because here's the thing. If I'm, if I'm a believer and I'm living like the guy who is unbeliever, 
And I'm making the same choices, struggling with the same things, and, and, and doing the same thing that is unbelievable. Why would they want to be a Christian? You know, a lot of unbelievers look at the church and they say, man, that place is full of hypocrites. You know what? They're right. They look at us and say, why would I want to be like that? Why would I want to be like her? Why would I want to be like him? Uh, he, he, he just cussed up the, the server at the restaurant. Why? That's a Christian? My neighbor's cheating on his income taxes. Why would I want to be like her? Why would I want to be like him? My neighbor just slapped his daughter. Why would I want to be like him? My neighbor's strung out on drugs and alcohol. My neighbor's cheating on their spouse. My neighbor says he or she believes in Christ, but I never see him go to church. Why would I want to be like them? You and I are to be transformed in such a way that people see something unique and different about us. And we need to live in such a way that we make choices that glorify Christ in us rather than turn people away from Christ and from us. So we need to not be conformed, reject being conformed to this world, and we need to receive being transformed by Christ, which means yieldedness and surrender. And how are we transformed? He says, by the word. Look what he says. We oftentimes get caught up with the heart. We need to think of the mind. He says we do this by the renewing of our mind, how we think. People say, oh, you need to change your heart. You need to do your heart. Heart's important. It's, it's the seed of who we are. But understand this, you're not going to do it unless you think about it first. This is where all the values comes from. This is where all the knowledge, all the philosophy. How do we change our mind? By the renewing of our mind, how do we do that? Well, we do that by the word, through truth. We live apart from God because we're living a lie when we live apart from God. We're, we're being told that this world is all that is, that is for us. And this world will satisfy us. And the, and the material things will make us happy and blessed and, and bountiful. And we'll be thrilled. And, and how is that working, by the way? You and I have more in today's culture, even though the economy's difficult and everything's pricey. I get that. But even still, you and I in America have more than 80% of the world and we're still bored, stressed, disillusioned. Do you know, go back and read 18th century and 19th century literature in America. The words bored and stressed very rarely showed up. And these were people who were fighting for survival every day. They didn't have time to get bored. They were raising crops and raising chickens, staving off enemies and Bandit, they, they were living and they were staying on. Today, we're so wealthy and so idle that we get bored and we get stressed. And I'm just as guilty as y'all are. By the renewing of our minds through truth, the truth is that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This world belongs to him and he is in control. Not only that, but proving the truth with our lives. See, we tell people that we're Christian and we believe in Jesus Oh, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. We tell people that. We wear our Christian t-shirts and have our Christian bumper stickers and our necklaces and our earrings and all those things. But then people look at us and they wonder, why doesn't his or her life match up to his or her jewelry and apparel? I got a big kick out of a young lady at our church years ago. She had a West Concord Baptist Church t-shirt on. We just had gotten a fresh batch. And it was close to Christmas time, and so she was at South Park Mall shopping with her children. 
And she had her little boys with her, and children, when they're very small, as they are wont to do, you'll be walking through the store, looking around, kind of, and your child will pick up something just to look at it. And they won't think to put it back. They'll just tote along with them. And evidently, they walked out the mall, into the mall, out of the store, and the alarm went off. You ever had that happen? And these people come chasing after her because she was a shoplifter. In reality, her little boy just had grabbed something. He thought it was pretty cool. He carried it out with him. She told me her first thought was, here I was wearing a West Concord Baptist Church t-shirt, now I'm a shoplifter. <laughs> but people do look at us and see. People watch us. We need to prove that what we believe is true. First of all, to us. Because here's the thing, why would anybody want to believe on a Christ that people who claim him don't even believe in? Why would somebody want to, want to, want to trust in a, in a Savior when they look at Christians not living like they've ever trusted in a Savior? Why? It's little wonder. We talked in Sunday school this morning. That first sermon Peter, Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved that day. That's incredible. And I left the class with this question. Why doesn't that happen today? Why doesn't that happen today? I'll leave that laying with you too. So what should we do? We need to surrender, become living sacrifices. How do we do it? Well, we, we, we decide not to be conformed to the world and we allow Christ to transform us through his word. Why should we do this? Well, we saw back in verse 1, it's reasonable, it's logical, it makes sense. This is God's world. God is the King of kings, Lord of lords. God owns everything. God owns you. Even God, listen, even the atheist and the agnostic and the other religious people are made in the image of God. This is all God's. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him makes sense to just surrender it to him i imagine if you had a nice car and it owned, you owned it and it belonged to you and i liked it i would come over and get it you'd probably uh be upset about that i'll come and get your car and go drive it around for a while my daughter had my car out the other night she didn't have any gas dad can i borrow your car and then she went out and yes i always am concerned about my daughter out by herself but i was concerned about my baby my car and it's not a pretty car, it's not a fancy car, it's not a new car, but, but it's the only car I got. And my daughter, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make sure she was all right. But anyway. <laughs> but suppose she took it and decided not to give it back. Well, we call that thievery, stealing. You know, when we take what belongs to God and appropriate it for ourselves, we call it secular. We're stealing from God. Makes sense. So why should we do this? Well, let's read the rest of the passage. He said, we do this by being transformed, the renewing of our mind, and as we look at the last line, that you may prove. Think of the word demonstrate. Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
When we surrender our lives and make that transformative decision and yield to Christ and walk that way, first of all, why should we do it? We do it to expose the goodness of God's will. God is good, and and we know that through the cross of Jesus Christ. The lost are struggling to live in this world without Christ. They'll die and go to hell without him. They need to see in us the goodness of God's will. This is a good thing. The goodness of his will. Not only that, but we need to, to demonstrate the evidence of our satisfaction with God's will. Do you know what we tell people when we claim to be Christians but we don't live Christ-like? We're telling them that God certainly doesn't satisfy us. God is not enough. I need to have this relationship. I need to have this thing. I need to have, and you fill in the blank. God's not enough. But when we yield to him and allow him to transform us, we show our friends and relatives, associates and neighbors that we are satisfied in God. Now they won't understand at first. They won't get it. But I'll tell you, sometimes when they get desperate themselves and find the world doesn't satisfy them, guess who they'll remember and try to find what really satisfies? We need to prove those things, demonstrate those things, expose the goodness of God's will. We do it to evidence our satisfaction with God's will, and we do it to exhibit the completeness of God's will. What does that mean? It means in Christ I have it all. I mean, let's face it, he died to take the blame for my salvation. Christ gave his all for me and for you. The book of Ephesians talks about surrendering and enjoying the splendors of God's treasure in heaven, that God has riches in heaven, that God is going to bless us and carry us along. That doesn't, I'm not talking about health and wealth gospel, don't get me wrong. I'm simply talking about the fact that even when we are struggling financially, physically, materially, that the satisfaction we have in God should carry us through. Paul said in, 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 in Philippians, he said, I have learned to both be abased and to abound. In other words, Paul said, I have learned how to be poor, broke, and humble. And he, he said, I've learned how to abound in material possessions and, and good things. And he said, in both instances, I have learned to be content but we're waiting on that next big thing. We're waiting on our ship to come in, that, that relationship. We're waiting on that raise. We're waiting. And those are, all, those are all things that we have in life. No, no worries about that. But if that's all that we're having to satisfy us, we are not demonstrating the satisfaction of God's will. Does God and God alone, what if God took everything that you have away? Would God be enough? Would God be enough? So it's decision time. West Concord today, as a church, we need to make a decision. It needs to be a transformative decision. And here, you are the church. So you, today, today, Happy New Year, you need to make a transformative decision. A decision for Christ that will, if you follow through with that decision, will change your life. And the reality is it won't always be easy because you'll be swimming against the world's current. And there'll be challenges, there'll be disappointments, there'll be heartbreak. 
But if we conform our mind not to the world's values, but to God's, and get not an earthly outlook, but an eternal outlook, that's how we do it. And the reason why is because we need to prove God's will, not just to the world, but even to ourselves, that God is enough, God is good. God is complete. Everything I ever hope and need, I have in Christ. That's why Jeremiah in chapter 5, verse, in verses 17 through uh, about 20, he says, not only is my hope in God, but he says, my hope is the Lord. Why? Because for, uh, from him, through him, and to him are all things. So I leave you with one last passage this morning. Back, let's go back in the Old Testament for a minute. 1 Kings chapter 18. You know, it seems like in our world today, anti-Christ and anti-Christian things seem to be prevailing. Our culture is corrupting. Our culture is moving far and fast away from God. It's heartbreaking. It's tough. But you know what? It's nothing new. That was going on back in the nation of Israel. Back in the day of Elijah the prophet. That's why God raised him up. Because the people were turning their backs upon God. They were chasing after the Baal gods, the false gods. And so Elijah set up a contest because he was going to prove that God was good and the will of God was good. And God prevailed in that contest. You can go back in 1 Kings 18 and read it on your own. We don't have time to dive into it this morning. But after God had dramatically prevailed in that contest, Elijah said this, And Elijah came to all the people. And these are the people of Israel, by the way. Supposedly God's people. And I believe God is communicating this with us today, too. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? Is that the question God is asking us today, my brothers and sisters in Christ? How long will you falter between two opinions, one foot in the world and one foot in Christ? If the Lord is God, follow him. It's not hard. He said, if Baal, follow him. Baal was the, was the false God representative of all the world's materialism, fleshism, pride, self-absorption. And that's, that's the decision today. As a matter of fact, that's going to be the decision you make every day. Because every day is the first day of the year. But it's not hard as God, follow him. But if all the creatures and comforts of this world is God, follow them. It's your choice. Let's stand together as we pray. This morning, we're going to have a time where we can come to the altar. Maybe this morning you need to make a decision. Maybe this morning, first of all, if you don't know Christ as Savior, God has paid heaven for you. God has bought, bought heaven with the death and broken body and shed blood of his son. Jesus died on the cross with you in mind. He was buried and three days later he arose again from the dead. He's alive. He says he is in our midst today as we gather in his name. And he offers salvation to all who would come to him simply by faith. There's nothing you could do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you could do to purchase salvation. You can't merit it. It's been, we're all sinners. We're all broken. I am, you are. 
Jesus came so that he might die, he might give, he might live, so that you and I might have life eternal. If you've never trusted in Jesus alone as your Savior, trust him right now. But if you do know Jesus as your Savior, how long will you halt and falter between two opinions? Here's the thing, y'all. Either God is Lord or this world is Lord. He told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, I, I have, I'm holding witness against you. I am offering you life and blessing or death and cursing, depending upon your choice. Make your choice so that you and your descendants may live. What are we to do? Surrender. Surrender our lives. Lay them on God's altar. How are we to do that? By rejecting conformity to the world and receiving, being transformed by the word of God. So why? Why are we doing this? So that we might prove that God's will is good, satisfying, and complete. Then maybe we'll see what we saw in Acts chapter 2. But this is the decision day. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.